HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit RothCheese.com. Borders seem to be all over the news lately. You've got trade wars, Brexit, and of course, Trump's wall. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring how borders are created and blurred in the world of food. We try to focus a lot on the fact that they are chefs by nature, uh, that the refugee thing is just a status for them. And after the Soviet space ended, I don't think there was much research. It was all considered just Soviet food or Russian food. And I don't think it gives a lot of those cultures credit. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. Happy spring, everyone. This is the 209th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a dynamic New York City-based chef and restaurant partner with multiple projects, and I'll introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to take pride in your roots and heritage. Where we are from and how we were brought up, from our family traditions to our life experiences, are what makes us unique. Without our individuality, the world would be a rather boring place. Imagine a society where everyone was exactly the same. It would make for little conversation, exploration, and learning. So let's embrace who we are, as it is what makes life special. That's my tip today. Now I'm thrilled to have my guest here with me in the studio. It is Joseph J.J. Johnson, a James Beard-nominated chef best known for cooking the food of the African diaspora. JJ is a chef on BuzzFeed's Tasty Platform and debuted a cooking show, Just Eats with Chef JJ, on Clio TV. He has two projects in New York from his new restaurant group, Ingrained Hospitality Concepts. The first is Henry at Life Hotel, a full-service restaurant in Nomad that opened in 2018 and was named one of the top 10 best restaurants by the New York Times. He also has Field Trip, a quick, casual rice bowl shop featuring global inspired flavors, which previewed at the U.S. Open and will open in Harlem in 2019. And he also published his first cookbook last year called Between Harlem and Heaven. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm like, wow, I did. This guy, JJ, did a lot of stuff, does a lot of stuff. And that's the short bio. (laughs) I loved your PR tip. I felt like it was like truly who I am and what I'm doing. And it was refreshing to hear somebody like you tell people to be comfortable with who they are and express that. Well, 
you're welcome. I thought of you when I wrote my tip. <laughs> I try to get my ins- inspiration from my guests, and but I believe that. I, I mean, uh, truly, I think it's important that we embrace our past and we are who we are. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's gr- the great thing I think today in the cooking world of uh, in in the United States is you're seeing young chefs or just chefs now really going back to who they were not who they were who they are Mm -hmm. and are now able to express that on a plate or get investment dollars or a hotel deal and really feel comfortable in their skin and not have to cook something that somebody told them that they had to cook right so let's go back a bit to the beginnings of your cooking what when did you know you wanted to be a chef and i i also know you went to the CIA. Yes, I did. Which is impressive. I'm always. Yeah, I owe a lot of. St- I was a lot of student loans. <laughs> um, I cooked uh, in 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 my in my grandma's kitchen. Um, Where'd you grow up? I grew up in the Poconos, um, oh. close to Mount Airy Lodge. I don't know if you remember. People in New York remember that commercial. Um, I didn't grow up in New York. Heart shaped, so. heart shaped uh, bathtubs. <laughs> and people like they say Frank Sinatra played there. It was very legendary. It's a casino now. That's what. Poconos are known for um and I grew up in this kitchen my grandmother was Puerto Rican um she was retired my grandfather was West Indian he didn't do much cooking um and she made cooking really fun she did it throughout the day she had her own spice rack she had these handwritten cookbooks with all her favorite recipes in it she made her own chicken stocks and beef stocks and I just gravitated to her in the kitchen um and I told my parents at a really young age I was going to be a chef. Um, and they probably didn't believe me. And my mom wanted me to become a doctor or a politician or a teacher um, because my, my family's like truly uh, blue-collar workers. Um, <clears throat> and I was a dishwasher at a country club. I used to ride my bike to every day um, at the age of 14. So about 14 to 17, I was a dishwasher. I would ride my bike about a mile away. Um, and then I applied to Culinary Institute of America. I got accepted. We, we, we did a couple of college tours. Johnson & Will, CIA, was supposed to look at New England Culinary, never went. Um, and I wound up going to Culinary Institute of America. It just spoke to me. It felt right. Um, and I was there. And I did my externship at Tribeca Grill uh, on the, the le- with the legendary uh, Drew Nipriant, who I yeah. truly talk to still to this day. Um, I remember being in that kitchen the first day I showed up. I had to peel uh, four cases of potatoes. And I was like, is this what cooking is about? Um, but I watched being in young, watching how Drew treated his, his employees. And I, he used to give like the coolest Christmas presents. And he would talk to everybody. He would shake everybody's hand. Um, and that always, as I grew through the industry, I was like, I want to treat, I want to make sure I treat everybody around me this way of this man. And at that time I was like, okay, Drew started Nobu, he did all these things, not knowing that 15 years later I would be still talking to him and asking for advice. Um, I went back to culinary school. I took a year off um, and I worked at a place in the Poconos called Skytop Lodge. I cut my finger almost off on the first day of work. Um, and the chef was like, just, you'll be fine. And I was like, no, it's bleeding. He's like, taped it up with duct tape and went <laughs> yeah. to the line and cooked. So I worked there for a year. I promised my mom I would go back for my bachelor's. I went back to Culinary Institute of America for my bachelor's. And I looked at the industry really differently being back there with a lot more experience underneath who I w- underneath me from the industry. And um, I kind of knew what I wanted to do then. I knew I wanted to cook. I didn't want to be in the front of the house. I didn't want to be a personal chef or a caterer anymore. A fun fact is I graduated with my bachelor's. I went to work at Wegmans in their management training program. Oh, wow. Um, I hated it. <laughs> um, it was also a really long commute, but like I was working in prepared foods, and who would ever know that prepared foods would be like the biggest thing? Yeah. Fast forward. Um, but I left there about five, six months in, and I got a junior sous chef position at Jane Restaurant on House and Street's no longer there. But... It was around for a long time. It was Amazing. just a classic New classic York. Classic New York place. Best neighborhood brunch. place, yes. yeah. Learned about, you know, what a neighborhood restaurant is and what it means to take care of people. And I was there for three years. I helped um, I helped them open up Glenn Harris and Jeff Lovecourt. I was part of, like, their opening team at the Smith on 10th and 3rd uh, with Brian Ellis, who was, a, who was a mentor for me for a long time. And um, now he laughs when I reach out to him for some advice. So... 
I was there and I've jumped around, not jumped around the city, but I worked at Morgan Stanley Executive Dining Room. I worked at Central Vino Tech under Leah Cohen at one point. Um, yeah. And then I went to Ghana, cooked there for two months. Um, and that's when I met Alexander Smalls and my career really changed. What, what led you to go to Ghana? I cooked on a cooking show on Rocco's Dinner Party. Rocco Despirito, he had yeah. a show called Rocco's Dinner Party. I applied because I was felt stuck at this job and I had to get out. Um, and I won my episode. Um, and on that episode, judging was like Marcus Samuelson, Rocco, um, what's his name from The Wire, Omar from The Wire, and Alexander Smalls, Reached, I don't know how he found my email, but he found my email from somebody, reached out to me, and he said, I'm working on this project. Love to sit down and talk to you. Uh, we sat down over breakfast, and a couple months later, he said, do you want to come to Ghana and cook? Uh, my mom said, I'm crazy. You don't know this man. And I went out on faith. And, um, and that pivotal point of taking a, a leap of going into unfamiliar ground made me become who I, who I am at this moment. Yeah, so so you went there uh, and you came back and you became the chef at the Cecil, which is his Alexander Small's restaurant. Yeah, I can't. part of, like, it was part of going there, was a part of, like, training? Go, going there, I think, was part of research. Okay. Um, I, I went there to cook these American-themed dinners. I didn't know it would turn into research. I didn't know it would turn into, like, finding myself. Like, yeah. you hear these stories of people go to West Africa, they go to slave castles, uh -huh. and they find themselves. Yeah. I went there and I found myself through food. Like it made me realize who I was as a person and what I should be cooking. Um, yeah, and it, w it became research. Um, we came back. We tested tons of recipes. I was still working at Morgan Stanley at the time. I was cooking food. I menu changed every day, so I was cooking some of my inspirational meals there um, from that trip. But also, um, you know, the people, the company that operates the Morgan Stanley Executive Dining Room was Restaurant Associates. So. The director of ops, Paul Hooper, and Zach Friedman was a chef. They also supported me in saying, you need to take this trip. You have all this vacation time. Don't worry. We'll figure it out. And I don't. And also, so I had a really good support system for my employer, um, which most people don't get. If you're leaving for 30 to 60 days, they'd be like, oh, you ain't going to have no job when you get back. And so I had this great support from them to make me feel really comfortable. While I was there, I thought about not coming back. Like I thought about going to Nigeria. I mm -hmm. thought about going to Senegal. I thought about going to all these places while I was there, um, like spending all my money. <laughs> Somehow you got back. I did get back. You yeah. got back in the kitchen, and this restaurant, the Cecil's in Harlem, and you were there for. I was at Cecil for four years, um, and I left into what year is this? Two thousand. I left there like summer two thousand, like spring of two thousand, mm -hmm. around this time, two thousand seventeen, and I. Said it's time to spread my wings. Time to go out on my own. Um, you got good recognition there with oh, um, great. Es what was Esquire's Esquire best, best new restaurant? Four thirty on the thirty. Yeah, that's that's my claim to fame. Like Cecil's my claim. A lot of people know me from the Cecil. I met a lot of great chefs there. I hosted a lot of great chefs. Um, I would say like that's my like how Danielle has Le Cirque. I have uh -huh. the Cecil. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, the Cecil's not the same anymore. Le Cirque. At least was still the same, um, but yeah, I mean that I left. I spread my wings, but I didn't really know what I was gonna do. It was it, it, it that chapter in my life had to come to an end? Mm -hmm. And when I left, you know, my wife at that time she was pregnant with twins, so most people would never leave. You would never leave. You say I need to get a job. I have to get a check. But like, who wants to be miserable in life? So. <laughs> Um, I kind of worked through it. I had a, I had a really big support system from, from Mia. Um, and I called a dear friend of mine who was like the chef curator at Chef's Club who used to come eat at the Seesaw a lot. And I was like... Are you talking about Aaron? I'm talking about Aaron, yeah. Pocket Fork. Pocket Fork, no longer there. Has a consulting company I now. Know, I know, excited big, for big, him. I'm excited for him. And he, he, in the story, like he helped develop a lot of things from like a, from a perspective. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on that, but... So I said to him, I just wanted to do this pop-up. To I need to cook a place. At the time, the name for my rice bowl shop wasn't called Field Trip. I have this rice concept. I need a place to cook. I have to get investors. Do you think you know the owner of Chef's Club will let me do something at Chef's Club Counter? And he's like, nobody ever wants to cook at Chef's Club Counter. 
Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm not everybody and I'm doing a fast casual. You mm-hmm. have a fast casual. Mm-hmm. How can we make this work? I did a tasting with Stefan, the owner of Chef's Club. It was probably my worst tasting all time. Um, but it just happened that his wife walked into the restaurant with his with uh, with their daughter and she ate some food. She's like, oh my God, this is amazing. Stefan was like, you really like this stuff? And he was like, okay, we could do it for two nights and let's see how it works out. And it sold out in no time. I actually got my investor from that one pop-up, my main investor, um, that one of my other investors brought, and it all started to kind of fall in place of being like JJ, my own show, Um, and they asked me to start off this residency program at Chef's Club. Yeah. Where I was like, ah, I don't really, I'm focused on quick, I'm focused on fast casual quick service. And Aaron was like, you do this, like, you're not doing anything else. What do you have to lose? You, if it's busy, you can make a good amount of money. You Maybe you get some recognition and people can really know who you are, your perspective on food. Everybody just knows you from the Cecil. Um, and Chef Club was supposed to be three weeks and, it was, and wind up turning into like four months. Yeah. Um, it was truly amazing it was great i went and i yeah, dined I'm ha- thank you for coming <laughs> um and that kind of my dream from that was always like this feeling in this place should be in the bottom of a hotel like this is a restaurant that hotel guests want to eat at this is a place where it represents like true new york culture and be careful what you put out there um as i was in the midst of raising money for field trip somebody came knocking on my door and said hey do you want to put this restaurant, this Pan-African flair, New York City vibe restaurant in the bottom of a hotel. And we figured out how to make a deal happen with multiple parties and um, everything's been working out really nicely ever since. It's amazing. We're going to get, let's get, we're going to take a break and we'll get more into the <laughs> details behind this restaurant and this, this fast casual concept you have. And I think it, I think it all sparked from the big JJ neon pink sign. <laughs> That's where I give it every all credit to that okay so let's take a little break we're gonna come right back stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network today's program was brought to you by roth cheese a pioneer in the u.s specialty cheese movement Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is J.J. Johnson. He's a chef and partner at Henry at the Life Hotel, and he's the founder of Ingrained Hospitality Concepts, which also includes Field Trip. So let's talk about well, one thing. Did you ever have the idea back when you were younger that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and sort of do your own thing? <laughs> or is that sort of just happened? Um, I don't remember myself as like a young kid being an entrepreneur. I remember myself in culinary school. I started becoming entrepreneur. I, I've had I've had two failed businesses that I don't really talk about. One that was in college. One that was like early days. One is a one is a um, social platform that was supposed to be for food, and we see all those social platforms now. We couldn't figure out coding. We didn't know coders back then, so it failed. And the second one was a bottled oatmeal juice called OMJ, and now we have Odalie, but I could never figure out the chef, uh, the shelf life for oatmeal for oatmeal juice. Um, and now I'm like, Odalie's crushing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I these two things that I kind of spent my own money on and it failed. So yeah, I, I have an entrepreneur spirit, and um, yeah. you have to have a real spirit to be an entrepreneur. 
True, and I think we learn we learn things from everything mm-hmm. we go through. So I'm sure you learn lessons on on both of those. Uh, so ingrained hospitality concepts. The first the first thing was field trip. Correct. And tell us a bit about that. Why why rice? What's so why rice? Why rice? Well, rice is the the rice. We all grew up on rice. Ninety um, percent of the world grows up on rice. It's one of the first ingredients we give our kids or our parents gave us. So it's a very common ingredient that's very familiar. Um, and when I was traveling the world, like I was in Israel and Singapore and India and Ghana, um, rice was always at the center of the table. And I hated, I hate, I hate rice. At one point in my life, and I started falling in love with rice. So I would be at this hawker's market in Singapore, and rice would be there and it would be beautiful. Or I'd be at this family's table in Ghana, and this rice would be beautiful. And I said, or I'd be at this super fancy restaurant in Israel, and I was like, hold on, right? Rice is everywhere. Everybody's geeking out uh, out about rice, but nobody in the U.S. is geeking out about rice. So I started thinking about how I could develop a rice concept or a rice shop. And that's what Field Trip is. Uh, Field Trip is the celebrations of rices from around the world. Um, the granddaddy grains or the mother grains of, of certain regions. And our slogan is Rice is Culture. And you you did, you had a pop-up at the U.S. Open with it. Yeah. We, I we, don't know if it's called a pop-up. Yeah, but we were had- in Culinary Village. Uh, that was our first time. Um Doing field trip, it was very well received. Uh, the USTA called us the new stadium food, um, and it was just nice to see that a concept worked. Yeah, um, something that was developed that worked, but it also helped me kind of tweak it to get it better because that's like the US Open is mass people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So, to, so to hear feedback or questions people were asking, it helped us really get the concept, I think, right now. Um, and we'll be coming to Harlem very soon. Very soon. 2019? 2019. If it doesn't open in 2019, <laughs> we have a problem. If okay. we don't open 2019 soon, we have a problem. <laughs> well, looking forward to that. Now, people can go now to your restaurant that's open, Henry, at the yes. Life Hotel. So let's talk a bit about the cuisine you're doing there. So the cuisine at the Henry is uh, Pan-African. It's the celebration of the African diaspora. It, it's what I consider my Pan-African. It touches on West Africa into the Caribbean, um, some of South America per, and Peru, like those flavors that flow through that through that area. Um, and it, it's really what what I'm starting to see what it is. It's, it's really showing people that when we think about when we think about music, we think about uh, Africa, we think about African Americans. And how the landscape of music has helped inspire all music around the world. But when we think about food, we don't think about West Africa or African Americans or Africans anywhere or at the Afro culture. And I'm trying to show people that the Afro, the Afro culture or the African diaspora has influenced, influenced places around the world because of where people had to go. Why do you think that is? I mean, Africa is such a huge continent. Uh, I'm I'm still unsure. I think it's just the way it's perceived in history books. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what we're taught. I mean, I had, I had a lot of ignorant moments in West Africa, just from like little things of like, why is your name Miguel? Oh, it makes sense. Your name is Miguel. There's been slavery, and the Spanish came in, and you know, like all these things that you kind of forget because of American history. Um, so Henry's slightly. A, a history lesson through food, uh, but it's a vibrant cultural dining experience that's for everyone. I call it like the true New York vibe. Um, you can order the whole menu if you want it uh, for a set price called it All a Dream, reference from Biggie. Uh, we play 90s hip hop and R&B, like the most nostalgic music you'll ever hear. Um, and it's super fun. Do a lot of people do that, order the whole menu? Yeah, we recommend it for five or more. Some people order the whole menu. They get all a dream. They throw on some magnums. It's a big celebration. Oh, fun. Um, and, and and that's what like you the Henry doesn't have any doesn't have any uh, boundaries or borders. It's truly how you perceive to dine, and we are just giving you the foundation to make sure you have a really good dining experience. Like we have a, a drink on the menu called Ride or Die. 
It's a coconut lassi. It's a remembrance of my time when I was in India. Uh, but it's a spirit forward. It's a spirit forward drink, and it has apricots and all these flavors in it, cinnamon, and um, people are like, well, why is this on the menu? It's not an Indian restaurant, but it's like, well, it's just been to India. India is part of the spice trade, um, and it intercepts in the culture of the food. Yeah, there you have it. Put it all together and make it into a menu. <laughs> I have two questions for you because we did a little rescheduling from my past guests, and they're, they're great questions, so I didn't want to skip one. I'm going to ask them both. So on episode 202, I had on Simon Ford. He's a leader in the spirits, cocktail, and bar industry, and he's the founder of the 86 Co., which includes Ford's Gin. I love them. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm a big Simon fan, too. Okay, his question. What country's cuisine inspires you the most from the U.S. perspective? Oh, sorry. What country's cuisine inspires you the most? And from the U.S. perspective, what state's cuisine inspires you the most? So a country and a state that inspires you. Oh, wow. I'll go. You made me think of something really quick. So from a state perspective, a a place that I think is super inspiring is Houston. Um, I I mean, Houston isn't a state. Sorry. (laughs) Texas. Texas. We'll give it to Texas. city. Is Houston okay? It's a pretty big place, and they're both big, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and um, it's a melting pot, and I think the, tr- the, the the best flavors in the world are a melting pot because it's based off where people ha- have to, where people are going and wind up living, and we forget about those people that live together. But also in Houston, it's like a huge Nigerian population, and I think going back to that question of like why people don't understand maybe. West African food or African food is we don't go there. So go to Houston, go eat in Nigerian restaurants in Houston and you can get educated right then and there if you needed a place to go to because the population is so big. Um, and, and then for inspiration, um, I've been to so many places, but I would say a place that's truly inspiring me now uh, for the food of the Henry, I would say Nigeria. Good answers. Okay, next question. On episode 208, I had on Melissa Clark, food writer, cookbook author, and staff reporter for the New York Times Food. Melissa wants to know, as someone who cooks food of the African diaspora, since we all know so little about African food here, and it's such a big place, how do you get people to start thinking about African food? Do you break it down by country or region? How do we begin our quest? I think you break... um so it's so sad that nobody, I don't think anybody takes the time to look at Africa. It's a really good question, Melissa. I take a time to look at Africa. We all think of it as like one place. I think you break it down in region, so south, east, west. Um, and I, I would say you go to Ghana first. Treat Ghana like you treat London. You go to Ghana, you hang out there for a couple of days, and you can fly a different bunch of places. I think also let's not forget about places in Africa, like I think people forget Morocco is part of Africa. Or yeah, and actually, last year I was working with Tunisia, the country, because they were sponsoring the fancy, fancy food show. Right. And like I was learning so much about Tunisia, and it was one of those countries like people don't talk about. But yeah, it's a so, North North Africa. Right. So there's a lot of places I think people have went to in mm-hmm. Africa that they just forget that it's Africa because. It's close to the Mediterranean Sea. I mean, and and think about it like this is like at one point Israel was not think thought of in the way we think about it. It was Mediterranean food, right? It it was never when I was in culinary school 15 years ago, it wasn't defined as a cult. Like it wasn't defined as the way we define it today. It was just looked at. It's on the Mediterranean Sea. They cook similar food as Greece and Eastern Europe. But it's not. It's in the Middle East. It's totally different. And it's also a melting pot, which is all these different people. So, like, if you are having a time trying to figure out Africa, think about it as you think about Israel now and, say, west, south, east, and then kind of go to those places. Like, you might connect a flight in Morocco, stay a couple extra hours and jump out and get some spices and eat some food. Um, Or you might... I mean, listen, there's, there's, 
there's so much going on in West Africa or in South Africa. Like I don't touch on East Africa because I don't know much about it, but I'm sure you can call Marcus Samuelson or email him and he will fill you in on some food of East Africa and tell you where to go and eat. But also like New York is just filled with all these places in these outer boroughs that we can kind of slightly educate ourselves in. Like go to Harlem, go to Brooklyn, go to the Bronx, go to go to Queens. Um, and there's some there's these, these these restaurants and these people that are cooking this amazing food that we can slightly educate ourselves there. But take a trip, book it. It's the same shots you get anywhere else you go. Um, you might got to get a visa in your passport. It costs a little bit of money, but you will truly love it. And Melissa, if you want to take a trip, let's do a let's do an article for the New York Times together, and uh, we can tell the world why they should go to a certain region in Africa. Fabulous! I want to come along. <laughs> we want you there. <laughs> what? What? If you, for your next trip to Africa, where would you where would you want to go? So, this year I was invited to cook in Nigeria. I wasn't able to do it just because I'm opening a restaurant. So, Nigeria definitely for next year. But I want to do Morocco, Nigeria, and Senegal. I see Michael Twitty does a trip now. I don't know if people really know this. Michael Twitty does a trip every year um, where he brings people in the food industry and they pick a place. He just did the Congo and it was looked truly amazing. BJ Dennis went. Um, Michael Twitty, I was like 12, 12 writers or people in the food industry. So that's a way to get on, kind of get on a trip, see what he's doing. Um, it, it, it's just, it, it's not, it, that's where I will go next year. Maybe yeah. I'll jump on Twitty's trip. Um, I have to get back so I can, so I can push forward on my, culinary vision and my pers- what, what I envision the food of Pan-Africa to be. But yeah, th- those are my stops for my next trip and then I will reevaluate and see where I will go next. I'm thinking, I'm, I don't know where, I, I, I've never been to Africa and I'm like, I want, I want to go everywhere. Yeah, I have to figure that out. Maybe next year. Next year, do it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> do it. Okay, so let's take another break. We're going to come back. We'll play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Akiko Katayama, and I'm the host of Japan Needs here on HRN. By interviewing fascinating personalities in Japanese culinary culture, I try to demystify Japanese cuisine. My guests have included sake brewers, tea experts, Japanese whiskey experts, and sushi chefs. You can find Japan Needs whenever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Chef J.J. Johnson. It's time for my speed round game. So what this is, is I name a few things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. That's my sample. (laughs) Sample one. Are you ready? I'm ready for you. All right. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat out. I know that sounds really bad. I'm a dad. It's this mix. It's between eat in and eat out. But you know, I love eating out because I want to see food through other chefs' eyes. Good answer. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? In the month of March, it should be all water right now. Um, <laughs> That's a new one. Why? Why, why <laughs> in March? way too much in February. Oh. Um, I was with you in some of those places. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> in Miami. Um, wine, beer. Cocktail, mocktail, or water. And you choose water. Yeah, but you know, I, 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 it's nothing like cracking open an amazing bottle of wine and just celebrating that moment with somebody. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. 
communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? I don't know. Okay. There you have it. I love I love that I play this game a lot, and most of these are the same for everyone, and uh, that was a first. New answers all the time. Okay, a few more. Speaking on panels or cooking at tasting events? I know you do both. Speaking on panels. The Harlem Globetrotters or the New York Knicks? I don't know how I thought of that one, but I did. New York Knicks with uh, John, <laughs> John Starks and Patrick Ewing. All right. Two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Cheese plate. Manhattan or Brooklyn? I guess, or Harlem. We'll th- throw in Harlem. Manhattan. Manhattan. That's the game. That's the game. That's a good one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you had a few of your like deep breaths in there. That yeah, yeah. You might judge me. You're gonna judge me off these questions. I'm not gonna judge you. There's no, there's no right or wrong. It's just a little game. It's fun. So let's talk a little industry news. The big news in Manhattan has been, and everyone's been talking about it now forever. Who when the po- the Pope's here, right? <laughs> the Hudson Yards. The Pope. That's I call Hudson, Hudson Yards a Pope. Really? Yeah, it's on every news station. <laughs> they ribbon cuts, red carpets. I've never seen anything like this in my life in New York City. I think it's amazing that whoever's doing their marketing has done an amazing job. Um, but yeah, tw- 27 restaurants under one roof. Is it that many? I mean, I picked up some articles in the New York Times. Florence Fabric wrote about it. I mean, everyone's written about it. I went, was it last Thursday, they had a grand opening party, which I heard about 20,000 people were invited to. <laughs> I was invited. I, w- I wasn't invited. I was invited through Citarella because I did my show. I had Joe Citarella on the show. And actually, when we did the show, he revealed that they were going to be opening in Hudson Hudson Yards. Oh, wow. So um, I went to this event. It's Have you been over there? No, not yet. I've been over there um, because there's some other corporate buildings in there that I've been to, but I haven't been there yet. So I've now been twice because I went to the party and then yesterday I decided to pop over to have lunch at David Chang's new place, Kawi. And um, it's it's a South Korean style restaurant. I had this dish. I had kimbap, which was which was really good. I mean, it was it's inter- it's the thing is with this whole Hudson Yards is it's a giant mall. It's a giant. $25 billion project. <laughs> but Time Warner Center was is a giant mall. Yeah, but I... So I live by but cool, Time Warner. But cool, Well, I think Hudson Yards is uh, at least five times bigger, if not more. And one thing I noticed with Time Warner has a lot of windows. This felt... It's more... It's enclosed. I mean, the big thing people are also... Everyone's Instagramming the vessel, which is that uh, landmark... Uh, it's going to become a landmark, I heard, already. It's, it's, a, it's a sculpture that I think they said it was 2,500 steps that you, you can climb up and it will be timed entries. And there's also the shed, which is an entertainment space that hasn't opened yeah, yet. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, but you have to check it out. I feel like it's, it's it, it feels a bit like Vegas. You know, big hotel, mall with lots of big, shiny restaurants. I mean, it's it's... It's very shiny and new. I just, it's... um. Listen, the related team, they have it figured out. <laughs> they know what they're... Kind of, I mean, when Time Warner Center opened, people were saying the same thing. These guys are crazy. Nobody's going to come to Columbus Circle. And now look at Columbus Circle. I mean, we're in there um, in Whole Foods or dining or buying a, buying clothes at J. Crew, something. And yeah. it gives us, an, an. I think for me, it gives me, coming from Harlem, it gives me some type of central point to get something that I'm unable to get to. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see, you, you know, they're building a new community. And when you build a new community, it you I like to see the people that get put in that community, right? And I don't just mean like the restaurants. I mean, the people that are going to yeah. live around there and support it. And I'm a community guy. Um so that that's what I'm interested in seeing. But you know, New York shifts. 
New York has a lot of shifts, right? Right now, I think we're in a shift uh, movement of New York City between Hudson Yards and Dumbo um, and Long Island City. I mean, there's a lot of big things happening yeah. in New York um, right now from a real estate perspective that's going to shift how we live, where we where we go out to. I mean, the train goes to... I took now. the train to seven, the seven train there, and it's, it's, it, it's, it's just sort of hard to grasp your head around it. Even though we've been seeing this built, there was nothing over there, and there's now this giant mall with buildings and amazing restaurants and amazing stores, and there's a Neiman Marcus, and there, and people are going. I mean, they're bringing all these bodies to this new neighborhood, and. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, the, the restaurateurs in there, they have Thomas Keller, they have Jose Andres, they have the Milos group. I mean, it's, it's, in a, it's, a, it's a great well, the, lineup the heavy, of, of the chefs. Heavy hitters are, the heavy yeah. hitters are in there. Um, I, I'll kind of stay away from that. I'm, <laughs> I'm eager to see um, Jose Andres' concept with the giant paella pans. That kind of speaks his, to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it... I, 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 I think it's just, I think it's great, right? You see somebody like Thomas Keller that you can kind of predict what Thomas was would do. And he's done something nobody's ever seen before. Like it's young, it's funky. Even the people getting invited on opening night would never get invited to an opening night at Thomas Keller's. Like Hannah Brofman was at opening night at Thomas Keller's restaurant. Like with her phone out and Instagram light. Right? Like that would never happen in Thomas. So it shows you that the industry is truly changing in a, in a lot of ways. And the related group is behind a lot of uh, behind a lot of that, and I think if 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 they support chefs and they're able to do some of these things, and the industry doesn't stop, and New York continues to keep being the mecca. Yeah, well said. <laughs> well, if you're when you're up for it, we'll go down there. Let's do and we'll, it. We'll, we'll we'll meet for. I mean, there's so many I don't options. Like big, I don't like big crowds like that, so I'll wait for it to die down. Well, a the bit. Par- the party was. I don't think I've ever been to an opening event. I have to say, I mean, talk about the amount, the numbers and and the marketing or whatever they've done for it. It was so well organized and there was so much happening. It's, it's, I it saw was Alvin impressive. and Ailey was dancing, marching bands. Like it was really like yeah. whoever the team is, it was, yeah. I commend. Kudos to them. And so, so people don't know this, just come to Manhattan, look west. <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, 30th to 34th Street between 10th and 12th Avenues. This this area that's Hudson Yards, and it's attached to the High Line. And um, yeah, you can't miss it. Can't miss it. Okay, we're gonna take one more break, and we're gonna come back. We're gonna do my solo dining experience and final question. And actually, I forgot right before. Just I wanted to mention uh, there were these awards on Monday night called the Taste Awards. It was their 10th annual. Uh, awards that they were doing out of Los Angeles. And my show, this show, All in the Industry, was nominated for the Best Food and Drink Podcast. And we did not win, which is okay. Uh, the winner was Chris, Christo- Christopher Kimball's Milk Street. So I just wanted to c- congratulate them and say it was great to be nominated. So thank you. Okay, now we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Himitsu. Here's the rundown. The location, 828 Upshur Street Northwest in the Petworth neighborhood of Washington, D.C. The concept, Japanese-inspired small plates where food and experiences are meant to be shared. The chef and co-founder, Kevin Tien. So why did I go? Because I heard amazing things about this restaurant, and I made it a priority to go the last time I was in D.C., which is about two months ago. 
my experience. So I went as an on a Friday night as a walk-in early, and I got one of the last seats at the bar chef's counter, which is about half the seats in the restaurant, I'd say, are at this counter. And I looked over the menu, I ordered a couple plates, and the staff took really nice care of me. So what did I get? I had the hamachi crudo, Japanese yellowtail with orange segments, fish sauce, vinaigrette, uzu tobiko, and I also had the naguga, I knew I was going to say it wrong. I'm looking at the word N-D-U-G-A. How do you say that? N-U-N-U-J-A. No, it's it, it. Now you have me going to say Naduja. Um, what is it called? It's like let's get our Google Translate. Naduga. I'm Something saying it like wrong. That. Anyways, it was with squash. <laughs> Didn't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, I looked it up for the show too, and I still. It's just one of those words. I see it on paper, and I I know what it is, but Isn't I. Isn't it Naduja? And do ya? I think that's why you're here. That's why you're here, Matt. Thank you. There you go. That is it. So I had this squash dish, and it had fried sage, candied sunflower seeds, shallots, and herb oil. And I also had a panko fried oyster, which they came individually and had smoked onion soubi and Parmesan horseradish. So my take: the crudo was beautifully presented. It was like sunshine on the plate. And it had rainbow colors. It was wonderful. And I loved the squash. And the oyster was awesome, too. The squash actually was like candy, which for vegetable, I don't know how they make something so, so deliciously sweet. But it was it was really fantastic. So the ambiance. It's an intimate, light-filled dining room with big windows facing the street. And the chef's counter is it's like a rounded edge around the open kitchen. I'd say it's perfect for solo eats or sharing with a date or friend. Interesting tidbit. So Chef Kevin made Food & Wine Magazine's Best New Chefs list in 2018, and he's nominated for a James Beard Award. Uh, he's on the, the long list of semifinalists for Best Chef Mid-Atlantic. We forgot to mention someone else in the studio is on that long list. But um, that is Chef Kevin. When those, those, the short list is coming out next, uh, next week, so stay tuned for that. Okay, so two personal fun facts. Uh, I missed seeing Kevin that night, but I did see him down in South Beach when I was there a couple weeks ago and and got to tell him about my meal, which was great. And also, my second personal fun fact is that night I went a little light because I had a second dinner that night with some friends at Kwame on Wachi's restaurant, Keith and Kin, which is he's doing Afro-Caribbean cuisine. I was and, there last week. Oh, were you? What'd you think? It was great. Yeah. I thought it was great too. We we had we had so much food when we went. It was um, it was a feast. So Hamitsu, I the cost of my meal was thirty four dollars, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website's HamitsuDC.com, and that's H I M I T S U, and then DC.com. Have you been there? No, I'm going to DC in a couple of weeks, so I might see you there. I'm I'm planning to go back. Yeah, when we were going there, uh, I think the 8th and 9th of April, I'm doing an event for a foundation down there, and um, I was either going to go see Eric, but... Uh, you need to go see Eric. He's talking about Eric Brunner-Yang. Yeah, but maybe I'll do a double dinner like you and sit at the bar and uh, yeah. and then roll to the next spot. Yeah, it's it's worth it, and actually, Himitsu is pretty close to where the Line Hotel is Beautiful. in Eric's restaurants. Yeah. Yeah, D.C. has a good dining scene. Yeah, it's good right now. Yeah, cool. Okay, it's time for the final question. My next guest is Danielle Ballou, legendary chef and restaurateur who's originally from Lyon, and he's widely celebrated as one of America's leading culinary authorities. Uh, he's best known for Danielle here in New York City. J.J., what would you like to ask him? Wow. What would I ask Danielle? I, I, I think this is a good let me, Let's do a business question. Okay. Who mentored Danielle in his growth time of his career? And when I'm saying growth, not in his cooking growth, but in his restaurant growth. When did he know it was the right time to open the next restaurant, do this concept, go from fine dining to casual dining, go from casual dining to quick service? Go from New York to Boston. Like, who was helping him along the way? There's no way that he was doing that on his own. 
of course, he had some gut intuition of where to go mm-hmm. and, and deals. But I would love to know who was helping him along the way and when did he know was the right time to expand his empire? And that's it. Oh, it's a great question. Um, yeah, we'll see what he says. Okay. I was I was thinking when you were asking your question a, a bit about Danny Meyer being, I know when he went from uh, Gramercy Ta- Union Square Cafe and Gramercy Tavern, he was very slow. It was like 10 years apart. And then all of a sudden he got to that point where he started doing restaurants faster. So I'm wondering with, with yeah, Danielle. Yeah, like right now, know? I mean, I mean, right now Danny's opening restaurants like once a year now or once every once six months. Once a minute there's a Shake Shack right? opening. So... <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm in a growth area, right? I think for a lot of young chefs that are mm-hmm. able to grow, our restaurateurs are able to grow. What does that What does that look like and what's some advice you can give? And who do, who should we surround ourselves with? Great. I will find out. <laughs> Thank you, JJ. That's Thank, the show. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah, well, um, I'm glad you had fun. I loved hearing more about your background, and I'm a big fan of yours, and I look forward to these your new concept opening and whatever else is next on the horizon. You just never know when it comes you to JJ. You do never know. <laughs> I know. I know. You, 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 with you, things happen, which is good. So. It, it's been great, and I uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So my guest today has been J.J. Johnson. He's a chef partner at Henry at Life Hotel in Nomad. He's the founder of Ingrained Hospitality Concepts, which includes Field Trip, a rice concept opening in Harlem soon. You can go find him at henrynomad.com's website and on social media at Chef JJ, at Field Trip Harlem, at Henry Nomad. He's also at My Clio TV. Check out his show. You can find me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Websites, BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Matt, and thanks again to JJ for joining me. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week with another live show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network, good radio supported by you. For freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thank you for listening. <laughs>